Mark chapter number 10, and uh, we uh, got down to verse 28 with uh, the Lord here uh, and, and the gospel of Mark. And as Mark is, he, <laughs> Mark is a boom, boom, boom book, a move, moving book. He doesn't have a lot of the details in there that Mark and, or I'm sorry, Matthew and Luke do, and even John. And the re, again, the reason for that is Mark is presenting the Lord in that prophetic portrait of a servant. So it's a moving thing. It's one, this, then this, then this, then this. And that's what we've been doing. We're down here in the Mark 10. He's, we're going to get down into verse 32 and following where he's going to tell them again the third time about going to Calvary. They don't get it. They're arguing with him. And then the next thing you know it, we're headed to Jerusalem in verse 32. And we're literally a week out from Calvary, and we're in Mark 10. So there's some things that are moving here, but at the same token, as we move through, we'll see that there's some things that Mark, he kind of jumps over, but the statements he makes requires you to know what Matthew and Luke and John say. So it isn't that he's excluding, he's just... You should know that, so boom, hiss, and this, okay? Now, we, got, we're, we, we come to Peter. So what has happened up to this point is they're trying to trick the Lord. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to get him up. So they ask him the great question about divorce and what did Moses, you know, and he says, well, what did Moses do? Mo Moses, the law says thou shalt not. Bam. Well, because of your hardness of your heart, Moses allowed, God allowed Moses to give them a, a uh, caveat, if you will, of a bill of divorcement. But the Lord said, again, if you notice there in verse 4, uh, I'm sorry, verse 3, And he answered, he, the Lord, and said unto them, What did Moses command you? All right, so what does the Mosaic law say? Then in verse, oh, 5, and Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. In other words, he gave you an out. Verse 11, And he saith unto them. See how Moses says this, the Lord is going to say this. Here's the directive from Moses, the law, the physical thing. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Bam. The Lord says, if you think it, you've committed the act. So Moses says, here's the physical activity, don't do it. The Lord says, now it's a spiritual issue, you've, it's a heart issue now. So you've got these two aspects of the kingdom coming in. The physical, they have to have that. They have to have the, that literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. They understand that. And then they help, but they also have to have that spiritual issue. So they have to be the sons of Abraham, the sons of David, but they're also the sons of Adam. And they've got a sin issue that they've got to have answered. And that's what the Lord is getting at. So then he goes into the issue about the little children and suffering them. And then he talks about the, that rich young ruler there. And this is where we were at, verse 22. And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. And again, what does he ask? Good master, what do I do? I've kept the commandments. And the Lord, verse 20, and he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Obviously, he didn't catch what the law was designed to do. It, the law is designed by the law is the knowledge of sin, Paul says. The law is designed to push them to Calvary, to, to Christ, to a Messiah. Verse 21, And Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Come over to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. And again, just reminding ourselves here as we get into Peter, Matthew 6, verse 33. The Lord has already told them, 
But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's what they're lacking. And all these things shall be added unto you. Well, what does the rich man have? He's got all the things. He's thinking he can buy himself a position in the kingdom. And the Lord says, now come over to Luke 12. The Lord says, no, what you need to do is seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And how you're going to do that, how they're going to demonstrate that, is he's going to sell all that he has. Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, verse 31. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. The things there, uh, consider the ravens, consider the lilies, all the physical things you're going to get in the kingdom. Verse 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So who's getting the kingdom? That little flock, that believing remnant in the nation. Why? Because verse 33, sell that ye have and give alms and, and so forth. So when go back to Mark 10. When he deals with the rich young ruler here, he's dealing with him to say, hey, what you need to do is get in the little flock. Now, how you get in the little flock, sell everything you have, pick up your cross. By the way, the cross there is going to be the cross of rejection because that's where the Savior is going. Pick up your cross and get follow me. Leave that apostate nation. Get over here in the believing nation. Then in Mark 10, 23, And Jesus looked around about and saith unto disciples, How heartily shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. And again, I tried to show you last time the drama here. They're, they're astonished. Verse uh, 26, and they were astonished out of measure. Now they're even talking to themselves. They're like, wow, look at that. What is that all about? Well, look at what he says in verse 25. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, can a camel go through the eye of a needle? No. So it's not a, you know, I read a guy arguing one time, oh, it's not really a needle and a camel, it's all the spirit, you know, it's like, no, it is what it is. But what's the point? The point is, is they're looking at the wrong thing. They're paying attention to the wrong. That's why he would say in verse 27, and Jesus looked upon them, saith, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. What do they need? They need the physical connection to the kingdom, but they need the spiritual connection. And that spiritual connection isn't in the riches. It isn't in the things. The camel going through the eye of the needle. By the way, most preachers will say that needles really should be gate. Open the gate, let the, you know, because the camel can't go through the night. We understand that, but, well, God, what's God going to do with that nation? The new covenant's going to come. He's going to give them a new heart and, and so forth, and off they go. So the entering into, verse 27, with it it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. Then Peter, now we're going to have Peter, James, and John pop up. And they're going to demonstrate the fact that they're not getting what the Lord is teaching them. The Lord's teaching them, look, guys, you understand the literal, physical, visible, earthly, Davidic kingdom. You got that. You're missing the spiritual component. You need the spiritual issue settled so that you can get the physical issue. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then the things are added. So you've got a two-prong attack. And again, I say this, I've said it over and over, and it's something to remind. You can't think about these guys the way the church, the body of Christ works. Different, completely different. These guys have literal, physical, visible activities and works to do. But it's that, that issue of the spiritual side. Now we got Peter. Verse 28, then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. So Peter is the head of the twelve. He's apostle number one. 
Dini says, lo, we have left. So here's the little flock. Here's the, the believing remnant. We've left all, and we're going to follow thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sister, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake, and the gospel. Now watch how the Lord defines what Peter is talking about, we have left all. Now, notice, look at what they've left. They've left house, brethren, sisters, fathers, mothers, the wives, children, lands, for my sake, and the Gospels. So when they talk about leaving it all, what are they talking? It's pretty clear what they're talking about, aren't they? There's, they... And they do this because that's what Christ told them to do. What does he tell them to do? If you're not a little flock, is your father's good? Go back over there to Luke. Uh, not tw well, you can stop at Luke, but we need 14. Luke, just go to Luke 14. We'll just go there. You see, it's this issue of the discipleship for these guys. It is very clear what they're to be doing. Luke 14 if you look at verse 26, verse 25, and there, and there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Man, is that not clear? By the way, the hate there isn't like we think about hating, okay? It's... I'm going to leave all of that over there, and I'm going to go this way. Verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And again, in Luke, in the Gospels, wherever, where you're at is the cross here of rejection. Context helps you where you're at. Again, context is king. Where are we sitting at? He's on his way to Calvary. But what's he doing? They're rejecting him. Verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? You need to sit. Look, guys, you, it's clear. You need to forsake everything to, and follow me. But take up that cross of rejection. But, buddy, before you do it, you better count the cost. Verse 29. Let's happily... After he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that beheld it began to mock him. You better think about what you're getting yourself involved in before you do this. Verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. That's the standard in the Gospels following Jesus, what are you getting rid of? Everything. By the way, in the kingdom, they get it all back, don't they? They got Job, the picture of Job. He lost it all, and it's back a hundredfold. Okay? It's interesting. Go back to Mark 10. Interesting thing in, in Job, his life, his, his life, his wife tells him to curse God and die, and in, the, in Job 42, he doesn't get his wife back. So it's an interesting thing there. He gets everybody else back and everything else back. But anyway, Luke, um, Mark 10. I'm sorry, Mark 10. So you got Peter. So what happens with Peter says, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. Well, what is he talking about there? Well, what about us? That's the idea here. Uh, there's a self-interest in this, not in, in, in a bad manner as far as, you know, he's just being selfish, but because in a minute we're going to see James and John, they're going to have the same attitude that Peter has, and there's this self-interest. When, if you look there at verse 30, but he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the world to come, eternal. See, when, you're final, when you get over there at the end, 
what's going to happen? God's going to take care of you. But notice with persecutions. And then there's the issue of, in the world to come, eternal life. So you've got to think about this. When they are born again, the spiritual issue, John 3, is taken care of. They receive eternal life. The new covenant, the second coming of Christ, that new covenant, when they're going to go into the kingdom. That's where they receive they, their eternal life. Today, our eternal life is a present possession. We own it right now. Their eternal life is, is realized in that kingdom. Hebrews 11, Abraham not receiving the promise, but what? Believing it, seeing it afar off over there by faith. Boom. So when you think about the issue here and the issue of entering into the kingdom, entering into eternal life, that's where they're at. And what's happened now is Peter, he's not paying attention to what the Lord says. He's not getting it. It's not catching on. So in verse 31, but many that are first shall be last and the last first. Now, that isn't like in the line at Target or Costco or anything like that, okay? Right now, Pete, you may think you're first, but when that kingdom comes, you might be last. So there's, a, there's an issue here of don't worry about yourself right now. That's not the issue. The issue is how you finish over there. The thing in Matthew about they that endure to the end shall be saved. Now, that's not saved, justified unto eternal life. That's saved in the in the tribulation of the moment. But what do they have to do? They have to endure. they got to work their way down. So as we move now, because verse 32 now, what does he say? And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. You see how Mark just keeps moving. He doesn't stop. There's not a lot of, you know, in Luke, you, you, he stops and gives you this whole, this uh, human touch and the feelings and everything. Matthew, here's what the king says. Luke, here's how he felt as man. You don't get that in Mark. Mark's just moving. Get it. Here's the orders. Here's how it's going to work. You're going to enter into the kingdom. How do I enter into the kingdom? You, you first seek after his righteousness. Then you get the things and you get the, you get the order correct. Here now, Peter, he steps up just kind of out of nowhere. Well, what do we get? And, it, and it, again, it's a selfish in tone, but he, he's just, it's coming from an ignorance, if you will. He just doesn't, it's not clicking just quite yet. Actually, it doesn't click until after the resurrection. Luke 24, where they, he opens their understanding. You know, you see that in John 19 when the ladies run, run back from the, uh, from the tomb, and the verse says that they yet don't know the scriptures. And it's like, uh, the angels, they crack me up. Why are you looking for the dead among the living? He told you he's going to rise again. You, you're, and you're up here looking for him. See, Belief, actually not belief, understanding. What is it? Let's don't go there. We got to go on. Anyway, verse 32. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. Now, notice what's happening here, because the drama. They're astonished, and, and then they're, they were astonished out of measure, saying amongst themselves there, verse 26, so he's got them talking to themselves over here. Go, man, this guy's just what, what's going on? Now they're on their way. They're going up to Jerusalem. Now, when he says up to, he's talking about elevation. He'll say, "Let's go down to Jericho." Well, Jericho is north of Jerusalem on the map, but it's down elevation-wise. So we're going down. We're on our way to the cross. Now, this is going to be the third time he's going to tell them in Mark about going to 
the about dying and going to the cross. If you look back at chapter 8, verse 31, here's the, the beginning one, 831, and he began to teach them. So prior to Mark 831, there's our neighbor hooligans. Prior to Mark 831, he didn't talk about going to, cross, to the cross. He doesn't talk about dying and being buried and rise. And now here in Mark 10, this is the third time he's going to tell them about this. So in Mark 10, now you think about this, Mark 16, Mark only has 16 chapters. We're in Mark 10, so we're more than halfway through the book. Now we're going to the cross. Chapter 11, he's going to enter into the cross, into, into Jerusalem. Now, think about this, because the, the Gospels do this. Come over with me to John 11, but, then, but get John 12, verse 1 first. John 11, we're halfway through the book. John 12, verse 1, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Now think about that. We're six days before the cross, Passover. Chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17 are the night before the cross. So you've got a lot of chapters covering a short period of time, okay? So just because we're in Mark 10, but we're almost going to the cross, so the events are going to move here quickly. That's what makes Mark 10.32, going to Jerusalem, so significant. Now, watch what he does here in John 11, just so you see this. The first 46 verses, you have the death of Lazarus and his resurrection. Verse 47, then gathered the chief priest and the Pharisees a council and said, what do we? For this man doeth many miracles. Now, what's he doing in Mark 10, 32? He's telling them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die and be buried and rise again. Now, this is not that event, but this is giving some context around what's happening. What are the, what are the Pharisees and the chief priests, uh, council, the Sanhedrin, we would call them, the big guys, the Senate? What are they worried about? This guy's doing miracles. What are we going to do with him? Verse 48, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. You know what we're going to lose? We're going to lose our place. That's called the pride of place, position. That's a problem. That, that is their problem. Now watch verse 49. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, Ye know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. Now, verse 51 is John's narrative. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus should die for that nation. And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Then, now, 51 and 52, that's... John's narr narr uh, narrative. Verse 53. Then from that day forth they took counsel together for to put him to death. The last week of the life of Christ, the whole council of the leadership of Israel, what are they plotting to do? Kill him. Okay? It's here, it's in this scene where he's now going to go to Jerusalem, Mark 10, 32. He's literally walking right into the teeth of the adversary, into those that want to kill him. Verse 54, Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, 
but went thence into a country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand, and many went out of the country up to Jerusalem to, before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus, and spake among themselves, as they stood in the temple, What think ye, that he, shall, he will not come to the feast? Now both, now watch, the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. They got the spies out. They got all this going on. Why? They're trying to kill him. That's what they're trying to do. So come back to Luke 9. So in Mark 10, verse 32 when he looks there and says, all right, it's time to go to Jerusalem. It's time for me to go die and be buried and rise again. He's walking right into the teeth of everything going on. Now, you got Mark nine or Luke 9, right? Hold there and go back to Mark 10. Because what I want you to see in verse 32, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them. He's leading the way. And they were amazed, number one. They're like, wow, look at him go. And, number, and then he says, and as they followed, they were afraid. So it's, wow, look at him go, but what's going on here? What's happening? Because he's go, he, it's a moment of determination on, on the Lord's part that he is going to Jerusalem. He's going to be uh, persecuted. He's going to be dealt with by the, by the Gentiles in Rome. And it isn't going to end until he's resurrected. There's a set determination about him. The, apostles, the disciples are like, wow. How is this? They're astonished. But they're also afraid. And Fear comes from a lack of knowing and understanding, and that's where we're at. Now, look at Luke 9, because here's the idea. Luke 9, verse 51. Luke 9, 51. Again, th this is not the same as Mark 10. I just want you to catch the idea here. Luke 9, 51. And it came to pass, when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem steadfastly he determined to go Peter and the boys could have said no 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 stop stop chain him he was going there was nothing stopping him and what that is come back to Isaiah 50 which is where the quotes coming from Isaiah 50 Isaiah 50 is a, uh, a look at the cross passage it's a look at really the thinking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke 50, if you look at verse 5, the Lord God, and that's the Father, hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away my back. So he wasn't, he, he, the Messiah's talking here. Verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. The only way that we know that they plucked the beard, his beard is this ver, is ver, the verse 6. By the way, the way you know that they nailed his feet is Psalms 22. These little verses stuck periodically through, let us know that. Now watch verse 7, because here's the quote. For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded... Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. I set my face like a flint. What did I do? Steadfastly, I'm going. Doesn't matter anymore. I'm going. And that's literally, come back to Mark 10, where we're at now in verse 32. Mark 10, 32. He's been dealing with the nation, trying to get them to understand. They've rejected him. He's been teaching the, the, the little flock, the disciples, the apostles. 
They're, some are catching it, some aren't. Some are messing around, some aren't paying attention. And yet he looks there and he says, you know what? It's time to get going. So Mark 10.32, they're amazed. And they are afraid, astonished. They're afraid. So what you see here now in the Lord, one is the inner strength that he has to go and do what the Father has asked of him to do. And then number two, he stands there and he's literally going to let them take him. Remember the verse in John, I lay my life down, no man taketh it. I receive this commandment of the Father, I'm going to do that. And that rubs Peter like rubbing the cat's fur the wrong way. Peter, that commercial fisherman part of Peter, he doesn't, you don't walk away from a fight, okay? You, don't, you may lose the fight, but at least you're in the fight. Remember the, the guy there in John in the garden? Peter pulls his swords out and cuts his ear off. Now, to cut somebody's ear off, you can't go like this. You'd cut them up. He was headhunting. And the guy ducked, and the Lord picks it up and, and heals him. But the point is, is this is where we're at. So you, here, here, watch what he says to him, verse 32. And he took again the twelve. Again, this is the third time. And began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests, and under the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. Now, a lot, of, a lot going on in there again. First of all, it's the third time that he's telling them about going to the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection. The Lord knows what's going to happen. And yet, what did he do? Time to go. Let's go. He set his face steadfastly like a flint. He's, he's, he knows what's going to happen. He knows that they're out there looking for him. Now, earlier when we read that passage in Luke, he did what? He hid himself. Here he's not. Here he's what? Openly walking in. Why? It's time. My Remember when he would look at him in, in the Gospels and he would say, it's not my time, my hour's not here. Now the hour is. It's time to go. And I'm making the choice to go. Again, the third time he's telling the apostles about his death, burial, and resurrection. And in every account it ends with him, rise, the third day he shall rise again. So Christ is looking at the cross. It's the Hebrews 12. Look, look, we'll run to Hebrews 12. The Lord isn't looking at the cross as a defeat. He's rather seeing it as a victory. Hebrews 12, verse number 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does he do? He sees the shame. He sees the cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He sees the apparent what looks like defeat, and yet what does he do? Here's the mindset. Hey, I'm going to suffer, but you know what's coming? The glory, uh, the resurrection, that future glory. He despised it. He became obedient unto death, Paul says there in Philippians 2, that mindset. What did he do? He went. He did. He knows what's happening. He comes, and he ends every one of them with, I'm going to rise again the third day. So what should they know? What would have caught on? He's going to rise again the third day, but they don't. By the way, that's how you know that Peter and the boys weren't preaching the gospel that Paul preached. Peter and them were preaching the gospel of the kingdom, but when it comes to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that wasn't even being taught until Paul, the Lord's telling them they're not getting it. 
Actually, remember in, Acts, or in, in Mark 8, Peter argues with him and he rebukes Peter. Okay? So now, in light of that, in light of all this drama happening and all this stuff going on, go back to Mark 10, verse 35, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Notice they don't say, Lord, what can we do to help you? What can we do to make this journey you're on a little easier? Here, let us tote your bag for you. Let us get over here. And do they don't say that. No, what do they say? What do we get? Their thinking is, no, is not anywhere close to what he has just told them. That was his thinking. What's his thinking? I'm going to go die, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to rise again the third day. They don't have any idea. They don't even care. They're just like, yeah, it's like the third time you said that, let's just move on. I, you just, th these guys are just, they're typical humans. <laughs> they're typical people. Okay? So you ha they have, again, they have no idea. They're only interested in the seeking the selfishness of their flesh. You got Peter in 1028. What do I get? What do we get? We've left it all. Now you've got James and John. By the way, the big three, Peter, James, and John, the, three, the only three that have been surnamed, they're, they're there with him on the Mount Transfiguration. Everywhere he goes, they time to go. I read a commentary years ago. I forgot who wrote it. And they said he always had to take Peter, James, and John with him because they're a little hard-headed. So he had to say stuff two and three times to them. Not so, but they're there. They're always there. Now, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him saying. Now, come over to Matthew 20 and watch Matthew throw a wrinkle in this. Again, a little more detail to just help you understand when Mark, why Mark just cuts right to John and James said this. Matthew 20, you have this event here. Verse 20, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, what wilt thou, what wilt thou? She saith unto him, grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. Now, Mark's, Mark just goes right to John and Zebedee, but notice what's happening here. What did, the, what did John and James do? They went and got mom. Now, the Lord has, an, has a wonderful love for mothers and, and the women of Israel. So they go get mom to speak on his behalf. Now, watch what he says there in verse 21. He said unto her, what wilt thou? See the thou? All right, mom, what do you want? What do you need? And she pitches for her boys. Now, watch verse 22. But Jesus answered and said, ye. Who's the ye? That's John and James. See, he knows what's really going on here. Ye know not what you ask. You see, he knows it was a setup. He knows that the, he, so he looks right at the boys and says, I know what's going on here. What do you guys want? <laughs> you know, what, and, and it, it has, mom comes to, to speak for him. Christ listens. He says, okay, hang on. All right, boys, what do you want? You know, he just, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Now, Mark's not worried about mom. So he leaves that part off, but yet he goes right to the whole issue. Okay. Mark 10, verse 35. Hang on to Matthew 20. Just stick something in there for just a second. 1035. They completely missed the issue about the cross. All right? Again, here are the 12. 
They've been preaching the gospel of the kingdom. What is that? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They don't know anything about the death, burial, and resurrection. They're missing it. They're not understanding what it is. You can't preach the gospel we preach today without preaching the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Here, they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom, yet they know nothing about the death, burial, and resurrection. And actually, they don't even believe him when he tells them about it. Okay? Now watch verse 36. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? What do you want? Now think about that. How would you like the Lord to ask you, what do you want? He asked, you remember he asked Solomon that? And Solomon answered wisely. I'll take some wisdom. <laughs> All the wisdom you can give me. Verse 37. They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit on the right hand and on the other, on thy left hand, in thy glory. What are they looking for? What's the right and left hands of God? Prestige, place, prominence. Notice he says, in thy glory. Now look at Matthew 20 and look at the end of verse 21. In thy what? kingdom. You see how kingdom and glory, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the interchangeable terms, always is a, that reference to the future reign of Christ on the earth, what? In his glory. When, when the Christ shall come and sit on his throne in his glory, Matthew 25 there, that's what they're talking about. Now, when you come back to Mark 10, watch the Lord respond to him, because he's responding to him Again, trying to educate them, trying to get them up to speed, and they're going to miss it. But anyway, verse 38. But Jesus said unto them, ye, not, ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? He's, when he talks about drink of the cup, what is the Lord going to look into in the Garden of Gethsemane? The cup of wrath. Baptism. The baptism of death. That's what he's talking about. You know the Lord was baptized two times, right? Water baptism, John's baptism, to identify him with the nations. And then the baptism of death, Romans 6 idea. Here they... Can you guys drink of that cup of the wrath that's coming and identify over here at the of death? What do they say? Verse 39. They said unto him, we can. <laughs> and Jesus said unto them, ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized withal shall ye baptize. You know what they say? We can. The Lord asks, are you able? We can. And he says, no, you are going to. See that? It's not, it isn't anything about prestige or place or prominence or any of that. It's you are because you're associated with who? Him. You're in that little flock. Verse 40. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand, is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them from whom it is prepared. You know what he's saying? I'm not able to give you something that I was, I'm not, I, I'm not the one who's going to give out those positions. The Father's the one who's going to give those out. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to give it out to the ones that are faithful. And right now, you guys ain't, been, you know, you're a little squirrely over here. We've got to get you moving along here. We've got to move you along here. Verse 41, and when the ten heard it, uh-oh, they began to be much displeased with James and John. Think about that, the ten. you got James and John, they're over here. Hey, Lord, come over here, man. we got a little secret. You know, <laughs> close the door. Mom, come in here. Close the door. The ten are like, that's including Peter. 
Well, wait a minute. Peter just said, what do we get? We left it all. We're following you. They usurp Peter. They bypass Peter. They're not happy. They're mad. And by the way, they're mad again. Back in chapter 9, they're mad at each other. You know, you forgot the food. No, you didn't. You know, just boom. Missing what's coming. That march to Jerusalem. Again, a lot of drama here. Okay? Verse 42. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them, but so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Now think about that. Ye, the group. You guys know something. You know how those Gentiles work out there? What do they do? They lord over you, don't they? They run the world. How do they run the world? They run it with power. And the more people, the higher I go, the more people under me get to serve me. And what's the Lord say? Not in my kingdom. It doesn't work that way. You know what? The more you get up, the more... The higher you go, the more you're going to serve. <laughs> he just flips the script. He's, he's not going to be that way. You guys, it, it's, it's, go back there to chapter 8. It's where we started this whole section, chapter 8. There in verse 31 where, we, where he began to tell them. Then in verse 32, and he spake that saying openly, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Remember that? We, we talked about that. Verse 33. And when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. See? And again, he's not calling Peter Satan. He's talking about the way Satan thinks. And how you know that's the rest of the verse. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. Peter, you're thinking the way Satan's program thinks. And how does Satan's program thinks? He values what man values more than he values what God values. What are they doing over here? Same thing. James and John, what do they want to be? They want to be up and elevated. So they'll get the service. And he's like, no, guys, you're missing the point. You guys are thinking like that Gentile thinks out there. You're thinking like Satan thinks out there. You're looking at this saying, hey, I, the, the higher I get, the more people serve me, but no. Verse 44, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. In the kingdom of his glory, those positions of authority are not going to be based upon that principle of lordship, exercising, verse 42, lordship over them, but rather... It's going to be on the principle of service. In the Gentile world, people seek authority so they can be the rulers. They can lord over. They can have more. You know, you think about, you hear people talking about socialism and even capitalism to a degree and communism. Well, what they don't tell you is they want to be the elite crowd and have everything and have you pay the taxes. <laughs> They don't tell you that. See, that's why it won't work. That's why he says, in my kingdom, the higher you go in my kingdom, the more you're going to end up serving others. And that is literally what he's there training them because of verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now that's a loaded verse. We're going to dig into it next week more because of the time. But the thing is, is the greatest example of the, being the servant is the Son of Man, the Messiah. Here he is. He's the rightful king. And what's he out here doing? Washing their feet, feeding the 5,000, feeding these guys, doing this, miracles and all this stuff. And what does he do? He's serving. He's the king. Why? 
because that is the very principle of life in the Godhead. The Godhead lives for the other members of the Godhead and serves them. And all these guys have right here, right now, is this self-motivation. And again, that's the nature of sin. I want it for me. That's why five times Paul records where the Lord says, and he gave himself, and he gave, and he gave, and he gave. Okay? If you come over, this thing about lordship, if you look at Second First Peter 5, Peter's going to talk here to that little flock, 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 1. The elders which are among you, I exhort you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. They're, they're not to do that. And if they're doing that, then they're not being the elder that they're supposed to be. Paul says it for you and I today, 2 Corinthians 1.24, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. And that's where we need to be. Okay? Now, we're going to spend some time next week in 1045 because the ransom for many thing and all the different ideas that are in there to unpack that because Paul says he's the Savior of all men. Ransom for many. So we have a, a, an apparent contradiction, as they like to say. Okay? And right division clears that up. All right? Just kind of kept, we're on our way to Jerusalem. Mark's moving. Bam, 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 bam. I think this is lesson 62, and we're almost done. <laughs> I think that's as quick as I've been through a book. Okay, why? Because he's just moving, and, and, immediately, immediately. Why? Because that's, he's painting that portrait of the Lord as the servant. Okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the look into your word and for the consideration of what you were doing in your earthly ministry and what you will do in the future as you fulfill out the, this, and as you're on your way to Calvary, and we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen.